Hello and welcome to the back to the emergency traffic podcast, where we explore the tragic line of duty deaths of firefighters and paramedics to learn from these sacrifices. These podcasts are a brief synopsis of the events that we've obtained from official reports and published stories. We want to provide an easy and convenient method for today's firefighters to quickly learn the lessons of past line of duty deaths and prevent them from happening again. Thanks so much for listening to us. We really appreciate your attention and your time. We're slowly growing in popularity. Please tell your friends and coworkers and spread the knowledge of the availability of our podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at uh, Podcast Traffic or on our Facebook page, which is called Emergency Traffic. Uh, or a Gmail, you can send us your thoughts and feedback, emergency traffic podcast at gmail.com. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitchers. Uh, please give us a thumbs up or some stars if you like the podcast. Uh, that helps the algorithms to uh, make us more uh, widely known by the listeners of those applications. I'm your host, Paul, and today I have with, my, uh, with me uh, my co-host, uh, Dirk. Uh, one of our uh, other co-hosts, regular co-host, Doug, is under the weather, so we're going ahead without him this week. Hey, Dirk, how's it going? Good, Paul. How are you? Pretty good, thanks. You still on days off? Uh, last few days off, yeah. Back on yeah. Tuesday, I think. Right. So you got all the honey-do list stuff done? Everything's all cleaned up and ready? I'd say about three quarters. My wife would argue about that, but yeah, <laughs> I think I got three quarters of the list down. So right, uh, still gotta leave some stuff once, once uh, you know, the weather's more stable, less right, snow on the exactly. ground. Yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't touched the, the yard work or anything yet. Hey, you're going uh, somewhere exciting here soon, right? You're taking off to Europe to go to the uh, largest fire equipment and training show in the world, Innerschutz. That happens every five years. You're heading over yes. there june yes in, in june it's gonna be uh, gonna be like a family friend visiting and uh then the interschutz probably gonna be there for four days three or four days i uh, i went in 2000 and then again in 2015 and i spent about three days in 2015 there and uh, i wasn't it wasn't quite enough like uh, an extra day would have been nice i know this one is going to be a little bit smaller than the previous ones there were a few uh uh, manufacturers that pulled out all of the exhibition due to the war in Ukraine and uh, supply chain stuff. Um, I also think they might expect the interschutz to happen again in 2025. So that's a very short span. So for, for people that don't know, the, the interschutz only happens every five years. It is the largest exhibition, firefighter exhibition in the world. Unfortunately, there's no training part to it. Um, but it's just the, the, the sheer size of it and then the, it really, the world is there, like manufacturers. You don't talk to vendors, you talk to manufacturers directly, which is fantastic. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm also going to visit my old fire department over there and uh, a friend of mine uh, might enable me to do a uh, I'll keep busy for, I got about 20 days, so Nice, nice. That's great. Well, hopefully we'll talk about it again in the future and maybe we can do a tailboard talk about the show after you go. I was there in 2000 as well. Um, we didn't know each other then, but uh, I was there as part of the uh, company I worked for. I used to work for Emergency One and Superior Fire Apparatus here in Canada. And I was over there as a product manager looking at all the mini pumpers and off-road trucks and unique fire apparatus and stuff because we sort of specialize in those in those areas. And yeah, it was uh, amazing. I and mean, we've been to uh, FDIC many times. 
and uh, and fire uh, the firehouse show, fire chief, international fire chiefs and stuff. And yeah, nothing nothing compared to uh, to Innerschutz. It was an amazing big show, and I saw fire trucks, uh, you know, from all over the place. It was super interesting. I wish kind of wish I was going to that as well. This week, actually, uh, yeah, FDIC is happening again uh, this week uh, coming up, so I won't be able to attend, but uh, but that's good. Hopefully, uh, people get lots of good learning, and that's the nice part is having that training component first, and then the trade show. Stop okay, forking so, so this um, is, uh, we're going to do it. This is a tailboard talk, a bonus episode. Yep. So uh, we're not covering any specific incidents. We're having a tailboard talk. We're going to try to do one of those every month, uh, just extra extra stuff for people. And since this month was high rise month and we did the uh, Regis Towers and the Shirley Towers high rise line of duty deaths, we thought we should talk about tall aerial devices and, uh, and the likes since they are fairly rare in North America, but yet the rest of the world seems to buy tall aerials. So we wanted to uh, spend a little time talking about that and the reasons why or why not we both have some of that worldly experience. And I've spent a lot of time all over North America. There, uh, and also articulated platforms is another thing that I think personally, every fire department should have, uh, you know, one or two just uh, for those unique situations where they, they can't uh, get a straight aerial in the place they need to go. Uh, so that's what we're gonna talk about. There's been some recent deliveries. We have a Facebook, uh, I've got a bit of a Facebook group called Tall Aerial Apparatus Over 135 Feet in North America because that seems to be the dividing line. There's about several dozen 135 foot emergency one makes aerials that are in that range. Uh, Smeal maybe had made one or two. And uh, of course there's a bunch of Brontos that are 135 feet. And there's very few above that that are in service in North America. I'll just uh, summarize a few of them here and then we can discuss the uh, thoughts as to what we think, why, discuss some of the ones that are in other areas, maybe uh, Dirk. So Vancouver just took delivery recently of a 144 foot uh, articulated platform. It's a French company called Club uh, that built the uh, aerial device and it's mounted on a Spartan chassis with a, a body, I believe by general safety out of Minnesota. Uh, Calgary um, had a 160 foot, 167 foot Bronto uh, that was delivered in about 96. Uh, it's now out of service and actually was being sold here recently, uh, privately, and they, it hasn't been replaced. Toronto recently took delivery of the tallest aerial in North America, um, which was a, how tall was it? Uh, 230 foot, so very tall for North That's American good, standards. Yeah. 230 foot uh, articulated platform, a Bronto, on a commercial chassis, no pump, no tank, just an aerial, specialized device. Toronto has quite a few platform aerials, straight stick aerials, and Brontos in service. Uh, Calgary, I believe, still has two Brontos in service, but they're only 114s. I was just thinking the the Toronto truck there. Um, aesthetically, we always talk about the European versus the uh, North American, and the North American always looks cool because of the chrome and all the stuff. But uh, aesthetically, that Toronto truck is very ugly. <laughs> I think. Well, it's a specialty try. I get that, and there's also budgets involved and stuff like that. So if you go a commercial chassis, uh, you, you save a buck or two, right? And then. 
I well, they, yeah. There's not. There's really not many twin steer commercial custom chassis out there. E1 built two or three, three uh, in in my lifetime that I know of, which were the uh, two. 167 foot Brontos, the one for Calgary, the right. one for uh, the one for Siba Chemicals, which was a, a twin truck uh, down in in Alabama, I think. And then there was a, they built a twin steer with 174 foot Bronto on it. That was a demo. It was actually a prototype for the twin steer chassis. Uh, and then it got sold to Coral Gables, Florida. It actually fought a fire in Miami uh, during a sales call uh, at the local stadium. Apparently, they had a uh, a fire, and this truck was in the area, and they used it to uh, to uh, extinguish that fire. Apparently, anyway, and it was a demo a for a long time. Right there, Coral Gables bought it. But uh, the um, yeah, and so there's not a lot of twin steer, and actually, the Calgary truck. I was working at Superior and we were going to build it on a tour chassis. Uh, Ewan wasn't, uh, hadn't jumped on board yet to support that. And Calgary wanted a tall aerial that needed a tandem steer chassis. So we were going to build it on a tour chassis, which is a custom chassis made out of Quebec. Uh, they built snow plows and stuff like that in those days. Uh, but then Ewan decided they would build a tandem steer. So I think that's why Toronto ended up going with the Mac is to get the, the twin steer because of the heavy weight on the front axle. Basically, it's a cement truck. That's what it is. It, yeah, it's a tri drive <laughs> too, right? It's so it's got a triple drive axles on the rear. So, um, yeah, you know, to me, I don't mind the commercial chassis, but it's not traditional and it's a specialty piece. This is uh, what you and I, and well, our friend Doug, who, who's under the weather today, can't be here to debate with us, but. Uh, it's a specialty vehicle, just like a marine unit or any other specialty piece of equipment that I think we, there's a risk, we need it. Uh, but yes, yeah, the maintenance is high, the training is intense, and the usage is low. Uh, you know, uh, Montreal has a couple, 135 foot, which they now, I think, market, anyone marks it 137 foot aerials. Houston has some too. There's a few kicking around. And then, of course, we read about the uh, England, right? With the uh, reach after the Grenfell, yeah, after the Grenfell Tower, yeah, yeah. Doug had a mind a memory blank there. Fort Worth has a one thirty seven as well, a uh, uh, straight stick ladder, which I've climbed. It's a long ways up. You just another section, another section. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not designed to climb, Paul. They, they that's why those like the, the ones that uh, England or uh, London bought. They they have the elevator on the side, right, to to bring you up there. So I think it can transport three or four people at a time. So right. yeah, it's really not. Designed. I mean, you beat yourself up. You climb what's right. it in meters, sixty-four meters. You, you're done. Like, yeah, like, so especially at a at a good climbing angle of uh, the healthy seventy-two degrees, right? Uh, yeah, you're you're pretty poop when you get there. <laughs> And so, like, and we were saying, so the Grenfell, after Grenfell Towers, now the UK, uh, London Fire Brigade specifically, and I believe maybe some others, have purchased some tall aerial ladders, uh, either articulating or straight, with platforms and elevators, if they're a straight ladder, uh, to, to, to meet some sort of a need. Now, I, I'm aware that when Grenfell happened, London Fire Brigade actually didn't even have 
trucks, what we would call a truck in North America or an aerial device, or many of them assigned to high riders. Uh, they, they, didn't, they weren't called because typically we're not using the ladder to fight it. Um, so don't send them now. They've kind of made a boat face there saying, hey, we need some tall, tall devices. Those uh, London ones are very tall as well. What, 40? How, how tall are they? 44 60, meters, I think. 64 meters. No, they're 64 meters. 64 That's meters. Uh, 100, 180 like, feet. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Close to 200 feet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so they, yeah, they are really tall. Those are the ones that uh, that I saw in uh, in uh, Hanover at the Intershots in 2015. 15. And uh, I was I was going to line up there, but that, that was a big lineup to to just get a ride on that elevator. It was right. pretty cool, right. and it was very impressive when you look at it because they the, the when you look up the aerials, ours are kind of like they're 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 taut, torqued, I think, like yeah. they're, they're free hanging, North, right? North American aerials um, have a reverse torque, so they yeah. uh, they bend up. Yeah. No, they they bend down. The North American the uh, the Europeans bend up. They're okay. flexed. Yeah. They're flexed. So when you look up, they they really they they are pre-flexed. Um, but one of the reasons, as as far as I know, you should know that better. But um, the most stable position you can bring a European ladder in is basically rested on supported. something. Supported. supported. It's a bridging function. You can actually right. tell the computer, hey, we're gonna go bridging function. And now, right. depending on the angle, you can bring up a lot of people up and down. Right. Um, and ours, if you set them onto anything. They have to go and get checked because right. uh, they, not, they might collapse, not, right? Not designed not, to be supported, yeah. And exactly. So it's really the opposite of the, the European. So, yeah, yeah, it's interesting because when you look at them, they look the same, but they're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have a, a different, you know, uh, fundamental different principle of design in a North American aerial and a European aerial. Uh, I believe it's the same with uh, like helmets in suspended versus, uh, you know, absorbent padding. Uh, yeah. So similar kind of thing. So, but why is it, you know, that the rest of the world s widely seems to have a desire for taller aerial ladders than the 135 feet or so that we buy in North America? And, and by far and large, most aerials are 100 feet in North America. Uh, right. why, why is that? What do you think, Dirk? Like, is it the I, England only allows, like, you can build a tall building with only one stairway? I'm, I'm not sure if that's still the case. I, I, I can just uh, speak for Germany that uh, most multi-story uh, residents only have one stairwell. That's why this whole protecting the stairwell, even though we're um, advertising it or promoting it in North America, that you want to protect them. But we always have two. And that's when, when we talk about high-rise, we always say one is the escape stairwell, the other one is the fire attack stairwell. The right. Europeans don't have that luxury, basically. Anytime they have buildings that are taller than four stories where you cannot reach the, the floors with the uh, ground ladder, they need this aerial device as a second means of egress. Right, right. Because the building doesn't supply that, right? They, so, they, um, they talked about that. What was that? Hargate, uh, London, uh, yeah. a month ago or so. And they talked about using escape hoods to get the people down yeah. the stairways, right? Yeah. Which been used for 30 North years. America, yeah. we don't yeah. hear of escape hoods at all. I've heard a little bit for planes, but but yeah. really escape hoods are, are non-existent yeah. in North America. Yeah, I, I'm not sure why that is. I'm, I, I, like, I like to think that the Europeans are more concerned about the citizens than we are. We just tell them to hold their breath or protect in place. Um, 
but you see this quite often. Like uh, again, when I started in 1990, we already had escape boats. Uh, every fire attack team took two of them there. They were in like a like a plastic yep. plastic tub, kind of like a Tupperware thing, and there were two in there. So per uh, fire attack team, you had four with you. So when you encountered civilians, you just threw that thing over, and they had a um, CO filter built in. Uh, right. fa- fairly expensive because they also expire. Um, and I saw that in, I think, uh, Paris. They are using ones that you can uh, hook up to your SCBA, basically, so they get fresh air. They don't need that filter. Oh, okay. Um, just to bring the people out. So that would be right. a assigned task for a crew to go in and bring the people out so you don't bust your ass uh, fighting a fire and then you lower an air. Now you have to share the air right. with the uh, civilian. Yeah, because um, as, soon as, as soon as we're operating in the stairway, it becomes smoke-filled. Unless yes. it's being pressurized either from the building or from auxiliary yeah. means by the by the firefighters. So yeah. yeah, so it's odd that we we don't see a lot of high aerials, and it's it's interesting. When Montreal had a, a one sixty seven as well, it was a, a tri drive right. uh, Bronto on a Pacific chassis, I believe that Anderson's engineering had built, and then uh, Pierce sold uh, to South Padre Island, Texas which is a bit of a resort area on the Gulf of Mexico, lots of big high rises and stuff like that. And they had a 160, 174, the same as the Coral Gables truck, similar. I put a picture in it. It's, it's now been sold to a place called J Vermont, I believe. Um, uh, you know, so there was a desire, but it seems to, to not be prevalent in North America to worry about a taller aerial device to me, I think, I think yeah. as a risk management, we should have, I mean, I think, of course, I also think that our fire department should have high water trucks uh, as well, like for flooding. Uh, lots of places in the States are buying high water trucks and somebody in, a, in Canada recently bought a high water truck. So like a off-road military style or, you know, yeah. tall. So that they kind of like a Unimark kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, look at the, the flooding in Calgary and High River, and we're having flooding today in, in Winnipeg, apparently, from weather. Uh, why don't we have yeah. those? Uh, and we just don't seem to be worried about that extreme risk. We're worried about the day-to-day, all the calls, and we're so busy doing everything day-to-day, and, and the, the obscure events uh, don't get, uh, you know, foam trucks. Toronto just bought a big foam truck, too, uh, which... You know, good for them. They're being prepared for managing risks. Of course, they had a, a fuel tanker burn up on the on the highway a year or two ago, and they had to call in the airport and some chemical companies, and, and maybe that's what prompted them to, hey, we need a foam truck. And when I was young, just starting in the fire service, everybody had some specialty vehicles. In Saskatoon, there's a big fuel terminal there, and they had a foam truck, and they'd given it to the city of Saskatoon, City of Saskatoon, by the time I was, I was in the game in the late 80s, uh, they disposed of it. And it's like, okay, you got this terminal here. Besides the two or three crash trucks at the airport, there's no foam trucks in Saskatoon to put out a big terminal fire. So it's the, the same as a big aerial. You know, why I, think, I, think the problem, I think the problem with that is it's like the pre-planning, uh, but it's also, especially for Canada, the density. So that the chance that something happens is a little bit slimmer. So if you have this foam truck for 30 years and nothing happened, you haven't never needed it in 30 years. And then it's like, oh, why would we need it? Guaranteed so, year 31, you would need it. <laughs> so, so that's, that's why we don't have tall aerial. 
Yeah, you know, I think the other the other reason is that that that's where I would have loved to have Doug here because he's a he's a big uh, compartment guy. That that's why he doesn't like the European ladders, even though it is a very different concept. Um, North American ladders have a lot of compartment space with a lot of tools on it, and that, that might be also a reason why there's not that many tall ones because the tall ones already wear wear uh, they weigh a lot, and now you you put that tall aerial on that chassis. Now you can't put enough tools on it anymore, and, and, and they take like, up a lot of, a lot of space. But and then they take up a lot of space to set up. But the Europeans have bigger problems with that because they don't usually have that space. But they have different technologies for that. And so the aerials in in Europe, even though they're tall, they're still light. They still have to adhere to uh, um, building uh, or construction bylaws. Uh, like I know in Germany, they can't be heavier than twenty tons. For an aerial device, right? So that's based on underground parkade and, and a whole bunch of stuff. So they have specific areas at every high rise that are assigned for staging for aerials, and then they are yeah. specifically built, right? Yeah, and we don't have that. We we don't have it, right? We part, I don't part, know. Uh, I parked yeah, a forty uh, eighty eight thousand pound um, aerial on the parkade. Was that good? I, is it designed yeah, for that? Yeah. I I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, part of the factor there is the standards for the basket load in Europe versus North America are quite different in that in North America, you, you need to be able to be a platform. It has to be rated at 750 pounds uh, live load plus a little bit of equipment uh, and 500 pounds of a wet load when you're flowing water. Whereas the numbers in the UK or in Europe are less than that. I don't have them off the top of my head. But also the European designed aerials and maybe or in the Middle East or in the Far East as well is very common to use extension limiting uh, systems to prevent too yeah. much tip load to tip the truck over. Yeah. So they can have a lighter truck in North America, except for, you know, the Brontos and now some of the Rosenbauer smart, what they call smart aerials. But many of the manufacturers are hesitant to adopt electronic systems to limit tip load or operating at an angle you know an extent re reach limiting devices and those kind of things so which is funny the truck, the truck yeah. because the rated load has to be at zero yeah at full extension that the truck will go to and you have to have electronic systems and people are hesitant to do that and so and that you know that's part of it which makes the truck heavier, right? Of course. Yeah. Um, but but it's funny, Paul, that you said that this they North America is scared of of all those sensors. But like the last truck I drove, it had sensors out the yin yang. Like there's safety for everything. Like it it it's almost makes it worse because they don't trust the operator anymore. They everything is relying on on sensors. That that's why those things are constantly out of service. So. And those computer-controlled uh, aerial devices in Europe—they've been computer-controlled since the '90s. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's well known. It it works, but there's also an emphasis on the training and right? maintenance. Yeah, training and maintenance. And maintenance. And, Absolutely. And some, yeah. some builders in Canada. I mean, uh, Thibault Fire Trucks out of Quebec, mm -hmm. uh, and Pierreville was a sister company that was similar. They were very much into. Um, more sophisticated electronics on their aerial devices to allow it to do stuff 
But of course, this was in the late 80s, early 90s, and the electronics weren't as reliable, and therefore they got a they got a bad name, just like many of the, the Brontos and the Simon LTI snorkels and stuff yeah. in the 80s and 90s got a bad name. Well, shoot, the chassis got a bad name too, because it was the early, early engines and transmissions with computers, and you had to have a separate yeah. battery to to, to power the, the engine in case the main battery died or you had low voltage or stuff. But this new, the tall aerial thing phenomenon, and we're going to have to wrap up here soon, isn't new. I mean, uh, another company that uh, built a lot of tall aerial ladder platforms in North America was Cal Calabar, which was, uh, you know, out of California. And virtually, you know, most of the cities in Western Canada or across Canada and in the States had these uh, massive 150-ish foot uh, articulating platforms made by Calvar. They were called Firebirds. Uh, Saskatoon had one. Uh, Calgary had one. Vancouver had them. They were they're everywhere. They're all over the states. Uh, they were very sophisticated for their day. Uh, problematic if you didn't set them up exactly right. Uh, they, they wouldn't operate, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we have to remember that straight stick aerial platforms didn't really come on the market till the mid to late 80s. Really only Tebow and Grove, uh, you know, were a few of them. And so we saw a lot more articulating platforms. Personally, I think we articulating is good. Uh, but, you know, we had lots of them in the 80s, the snorkels, the Simon LTI uh, snorkels, etc., the Calavars and the Brontos. Uh, and then everybody's kind of gone away from them because they, yeah, they do require a little more maintenance. They require a little more, more, uh, operator training it was funny actually we were chatting on the on the facebook group and one of a, a firefighter i know who works for a department who has a couple of uh of brontos you know complains about the you know always hitting the limit switches and stuff like that well you know if the operator is hitting the limit switch it means you don't know where it is and, and that, that's a training issue right no no we gotta uh, teach them how to override those limiters because and, that's yeah, that's, that's safe that's a training <laughs> issue, right and, and yeah and so yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, all right and but saying this the, the articulating just um going back to the european ones like in europe now almost every aerial has the uh the top fly section articulated like halfway down it's not much it's like, i don't know 20 yeah. feet 30 feet I, i'm not yeah. sure about the measurement there yeah. but uh that always comes in handy right if you just have to dip down a little bit yeah and, and, uh, and that, Thibaut actually marketed that as called the sky mm -hmm. arm uh, I saw it for the first time in 1986. Uh, it was a re revolutionary new product for North America. The last 20 feet to articulate on the aerial device. It's it's copied from the Europeans. They've been doing it forever. Uh, and I think Rosenbauer, they call theirs now. They they marketed again. Uh, uh, well, so Pierce bought bought Tivo or Nova Quintech, and they sold them for a few years, and eventually they. They just stopped in about early 2000, stopped selling the Skyarm. Right. And then, uh, but now Rosenbauer, because of their connection with Mets, because Rosenbauer and Mets are the same company, yeah. they offer their North American aerial, the Rosenbauer, uh, whatever it's called, which is a smart aerial as well. It has uh, envelope controls, limiting. I've sold, Brooks has one. Uh, Souk BC has one. You can pull the ladder up without the outriggers down or extended. You can lift it all the way up, yeah. flip it around, take it down the back. It will stop it, you at any point. Yep, yep, yep. Right, yep. which They're most really cool. of the North yep. American aerials don't do. Uh, nope. and, and anyway, they now have the King Cobra, which is, uh, you know, the last 20 feet or so extends mm. to get over a power pit wall or something like that. 
which, you know, it's not popular in, in North America anymore. It used to be. Everybody had articulating something. Hmm. And now and now we don't. Although no, maybe it's, it's coming back with Vancouver buying this 144-foot uh, club and yeah. Toronto buying a 200-foot Bronco. And they already have two or three. They have uh, two or three or four 114s or 135s. Uh, Montreal, they had a whole fleet of Broncos. Um, I don't know what they're doing now. They're all straight, straight sticks now. But mm-hmm. yeah, interesting to see what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, it's just forward. a different, very different concept altogether. So for, for North America, it would be super specific, like a very unique truck for a unique application. And, and Europe is just different, it's different application. They don't have a truck crew. They don't have truck work. There's an office and a driver setting those things up to rescue people. Well, that's why you said like that the zero degree um full like full load capacity at zero degree the europeans is like why like i'm in the street it's always going to be 60 degrees right. or more so that's where i need it i don't need it out there right so because it's i'm, a, it's I'm a, trying to reach high yeah yeah although you know as we see with all the fires in the uk and around the world with yeah. building cladding systems and stuff maybe we're going to see a desire for tall yeah. aerials in North America, more a resurgence and yeah. for you know, water for water application, yeah, absolutely, maybe, yeah. No, and like, rescue, maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. And rescue, maybe. Yeah. Although we have the two stairwells, but we know how well that doesn't work with wind and all other stuff yeah. um, that we're still trying to figure out. Exactly. Yeah. Good chatting. Good talk. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Hope everybody enjoyed the tailboard uh, uh, talk. It's our second one, this time on uh, on uh, high aerial apparatus and articulating platforms. And uh, stay tuned. We'll have uh, more interesting tailboard talks coming up along with our regular episodes twice a month. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks, Paul. Stay safe. Bye. Thank you, Dirk.